If you could, turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want to start by just telling you a little bit about my heart on this message. Because a couple weeks ago, Pastor Eric asked me to teach at Staff Devos. And he said, share something that has been on your heart. And over the last couple years, God has really stirred my heart for the youth of our church. Specifically looking at the youth, looking at the junior hires, and seeing their need to have their identity in Christ. So often, they go through school, they go through the world, and people are telling them what to believe, what they should be, what they shouldn't be, the way they should act, what they should wear. And what they need to know is that God's identity for them is so much greater than anything the world has to offer. And so as I've been thinking about this in my own life, God has really challenged me in my identity as well. Specifically, he's challenged me by asking me, Tyler, Will you be faithful to what I'm calling you to do? Will you be faithful not to take an identity of your own, but to take on an identity laid with Christ in it? And so that's the heart behind tonight's message, is that we can take on many ideas and identities in the world, and we like to build our roots into them. We like to make ourselves a part of them. For example, growing up, I was a huge hockey fan, and that was my identity, and it ultimately became my idol and led me away from Christ. It can be our work. It can be our jobs. It can be anything that takes us outside of the call that God has on our life. And we develop these roots into it, and we feed into it. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Jeremiah chapter 1. So God, I thank you so much for this evening, Lord, just the opportunity to stand before you. I thank you for our awesome youth of this church, Lord, and just that, or just the privilege to be able to teach them each week. I thank you for our congregation as well. I pray you bless my words as I speak, Lord, that they can be from your spirit and not myself. Allow me to speak with clarity and, Lord, allow the hearts of those here tonight to be open to what you have for them. For them to know, Lord, just the call you have on their life and that their identity should be firmly laid in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, normally up here I have candy and I'm throwing it. But there's some bright lights, and so I'm worried that I would hit somebody in the face. So, sorry, junior hires, I didn't do that. You guys can get candy after, Nick will pass it out or something like that. And if any of you guys want candy as well, you're welcome to come into the junior high room. I'm sure we have plenty of it. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of a background to Jeremiah. So I might ask a couple questions in the junior hires. You're welcome to answer some of these. So what was Jeremiah known for? He, was, he had a certain nickname as a prophet. There was a specific prophet that he was. Yeah, Breck. Yeah, he was known as the weeping prophet. He was known as a prophet that weeped. He brought a prophecy of destruction. And he brought a hard message to those in Judah. And looking through his life, one of the things that I thought about is how would I feel if I had a message that God had given me for 42 years and not a single person listened to me? I'd feel pretty down about myself. I'd feel pretty hurt. And it would be really hard to walk in that identity. It'd be really hard to follow that out. But it wasn't that just that people didn't listen to Jeremiah. But Jeremiah was also placed in stocks, which is uh, kind of like that medieval torture instrument where it restricts your movement. He was beaten time and time again for proclaiming the word of the Lord. And beyond that, he was constantly ridiculed for his decision to be obedient to what God had called him to do. 
And he was also alone. He was told that he couldn't marry. His family even betrays him and leaves him at one point. And how easy it would have been for him to walk away from the Lord, to walk away and say, I'm not doing this. This is hard. I'm going to walk in what the world has to offer because that's easier. He certainly didn't appear to be successful, and I know he didn't feel that way. But God didn't call him to be successful. God called him to be faithful. God called him to take on an identity firmly rooted in who he was. And for us tonight, that is my hope and my prayer, is that each of us will take on that identity that God has for us. That we wouldn't fall into the lies of deception that the world has to offer. That it's just that next job that's going to be better. That I just need to buy that bigger house. That I just need to do this. I just need to do that. I just need my kids to go to this school. That we wouldn't buy into that, but instead that we would know that God calls us to something greater and God is the one that's going to do the work. So let's jump in here in Jeremiah 1. I'm going to read the first three verses to you guys. So let's start. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So reading through this normally, this is normally the section of Scripture people kind of skip past. They're like, okay, great, 13th year, this person's reign, whatever. A lot of people, when they're reading through Scripture, and I have fallen victim to this as well, is we skip through that part or we skip through the genealogies. And I want you to know, they're important. They have some really good information for it. And what we see here from the get-go is it says the words of Jeremiah. And you know what's so cool about this? Is that... This is in the Bible. This is the words of the Lord through Jeremiah is that God used Jeremiah in his personality and he didn't have to. God didn't need Jeremiah to fulfill his purpose and yet he chose to use him. And I find that so encouraging in my life. But not only that, but we get to see where Jeremiah grew up. And he grew up in Anathoth, which would have been just a couple miles away from Jerusalem and he would have seen the turmoil that Jerusalem was in. He would have had a first-hand sight to what was going on in the city. But he also grew up as a priest. He would have known the word of God. He would have been able to see how they should have been living versus how they were living. But beyond that, it also gives us a little bit of a view about what the cultural situation is like. See, at this point in time, Israel and Judah are split into two nations. Back in uh, 1 Kings 12, we see Solomon's son, his name is Rehoboam. And Rehoboam makes a decision. The people of Israel come to him and they ask him, Hey, Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. He made our burden heavy. He imposed hard taxes on the people. And so they're coming and they're asking him to loosen those bonds, to loosen those restrictions. And Rehoboam has a choice. And initially, what he does is he consults with the elders who his father consulted with, who King Solomon consulted with. And they tell him that if he will loosen the burdens on the people, that the people will love him and follow after him. But Rehoboam does something else instead. He denies that advice. And it was good advice. And then he goes to his friends that he grew up with. 
And he asks his friends what he should do. And they tell him that he should harden the burden, that he should harden the yoke, that he should increase the taxes. And the result of that bad advice not only separates the nation of Israel into two, where we have Israel in the north, Judah in the south, but it also changes the identity of Israel. God never intended for the nation of Israel, for his people to be separated. He never intended for them to split. But this decision to listen to the identity of his friends and what the world had to offer ultimately changed their identity in relationship to God. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of our life with sin. We see the same thing happening here in the life of Adam and Eve. Where rather than heeding the voice and the identity that the Lord had given them and trusting him in faith, they seek something greater. They seek something that the serpent is able to tell Eve is going to open her eyes. And they follow the identity of something other than what God had for them. And this is the background that we're in tonight. This is where Jeremiah is called to be a prophet. In a land filled with idolatry, immorality, sexual immorality, and a nation falling further and further away from the Lord. And the nation was forgetting or ignoring who God designed them to be. And in our relationship, we need to be careful and see if we're doing the same thing. When God speaks to us, he wants us to take on his identity. He wants us to follow after him. He has great plans for our life. But the world makes it so tempting around us. And this sounds a lot, this world that Jeremiah was living in, sounds a lot like the world we're living in today. I'll give you an example. We have this war in Ukraine, and we get to watch all these nations just stare at it and not stand up for the people and do what's right. We have questions about gender identity, a world that doesn't fear God, but instead challenges God's design, a world that doesn't honor life in the womb, doesn't honor life at all. And this is the world that we're called to live in. And if I'm honest with you, when I was a junior hire, I thought I lived in the most boring time frame I possibly could have. I used to think, why couldn't I have lived in the time of Jesus? Why couldn't I have lived just after Adam and Eve? Why is it that they had to have this amazing story and I'm here just reading these words on a piece of paper? And as I've grown up, I've realized that I don't live in a boring time. I live in an exciting time because Christ is coming back soon and he has a job for me and a job for you to do. And that extends to the youth. God has a job for us here in our society today and is to proclaim his word, to proclaim the truth of Christ Jesus. And we can either step into that or we can believe these lies that we need to fit the mold of the world. But let's go through and let's see the specific call on Jeremiah's life. So let's go to verse 4 here. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This is such a cool statement that we get to see. First, here in verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. It was when there was turmoil, when there was a need that it came to Jeremiah. God called on Jeremiah's life because it was important. He called on Jeremiah's life because he had a job to do. He called on Jeremiah's life because the people needed to hear the words of the Lord. 
God doesn't have boring jobs or dumb jobs for us. It's not like we get to heaven and our job is to scrub the big toe of God. Our jobs are real and they're important and they extend here on this earth. I always tell the junior hires this, I have one of the best jobs in the entire world because I get to hang out with them every single week. We got to go to retreat this weekend. and Oh my goodness, it was so much fun. It's a little bit of a detour, but we're going there. I got to go, and, and one of the games that we played on Saturday night, we played Find the Leader. So all of the youth had to take a flashlight in the dark, and they had to find the leader. And they're pretty good at finding us. They did a pretty good job. But the very last round, all five leaders were like, no, we're not letting them find us. We're not allowing them to do it. And so Nick hit on top of a car. Another one of my leaders hit in a car. Like one of our leaders hit under a bridge. And I ran out of time, so I just climbed straight up a tree. It was about 20 feet in the air. (laughs) It was awesome. But the reason it was so cool is because God had purpose in that retreat. And it was amazing. We had two of our kids get saved that weekend. And many more that responded in prayer. And what's so cool about that is that extends to you as well. Is God, wherever he has you, whether it's at a school, if you're a youth, if you're teaching somewhere, if you're in a workplace, if you're on a military base, wherever God has you, he has purpose and design in it. He has specifically placed you there for a call and for a reason. And I would encourage you to lean into it. Because that's the call he had in Jeremiah's life. But here in verse 5 it said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That is incredible. That the God of the universe, before he formed me, he knew who I was. Before he formed me, he sanctified me. He set me apart. He cleansed me. You know what that means about our relationship with Christ? It means that before we were created he made the decision to die on the cross for our sins. Meaning he knew that we would rebel. He knew that we would turn away from him. He knew that we would stop following him. He knew that we would fall short. And he looked at you and he said, I love you enough to not only create you, but to make a plan of salvation for you. This is my favorite verse in the entire Bible because it makes me realize just how deep God's love for us is. And I hope you realize that today, is that you are special to the Lord. You are great to the Lord. He has such purpose and care in his life. If we compare it to Psalms 139, verse 13 and verse 16, he said, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I'm skipping down to verse 16 of it. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God formed our inward parts. He knew the life that we would live. He knew that your life would be different from your life. He knew that your life would be different from someone in the back. He knew that someone's in the back's life would be different from someone in the middle. And he designed a life specific to you. He designed a life that he called you to live, that he trusted you to live. But he didn't call us to live it apart from him. He called us to live it with him. And that's why he died for us, is because he wants us to be a part of him. He wants us to be with him for all eternity. Here it says at the end of verse 5 that he ordained Jeremiah a prophet to the nation. He chose Jeremiah to live in this tough time. He chose Jeremiah to go through the difficult times, to proclaim his word. 
And for Jeremiah, how hard must that have been to go through 42 years of being beaten and stricken and not knowing if anyone was hearing you? But how encouraged do you think Jeremiah would be today knowing that we're reading what he went through and being pointed to Christ because of it? And in our lives, we don't know what God is going to use them for. We don't know. But I can promise you that if you chase after the things that God has, if you push away the things of the world and you allow God to be your identity, you will never regret it. You will never regret following after the Lord. And the last thing I want to show you from this is that Jeremiah didn't have to do anything in this. He says, I formed you. God formed him. He says, I knew you. God knew him. I sanctified you. God sanctified him. I ordained you a prophet. God ordained Jeremiah a prophet. There was nothing that Jeremiah did that was deserving of it. And yet God did it. And God promised to do the work for him. But so often this can be difficult in our life when God reaches out to us and he's got a plan and a hope and a future for us. And we know he has it, but we're afraid of it. We're afraid to step into it. We know it feels uncomfortable. We know it feels scary. And that's how Jeremiah felt. Let's read his response in verse 6. So this is Jeremiah's response to God. He says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Many believe Jeremiah would have been around age 17, 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that range. And he felt he was too young to do the things that God had called him to do. And one of the coolest things about being the junior high pastor is those kids can do amazing things even in their youth. Jeremiah used his youth as an excuse, not a shot against him because I do the same thing all the time. (laughs) But I look at our youth and I see the amazing things they do. I even have one of my students every single Wednesday and every single Saturday or Sunday when he's here. And he started this on his own. He asks me if he can pray with me. And it encourages me greatly. I think that's so cool. Our youth can do things that others cannot. They can get into areas we can't. They can go into the schools, and God desires to use them now. But it's not just them. He desires to use everyone in this room if we're following his plans. He has a plan and a hope for each of us. And so often our response can be, Ah, God, I can't do it. How can I step into this? How can I go into this role? And I want you to know Jeremiah wasn't the only one who felt this way. Anybody know of a guy named Moses? Yeah. And so I want to read this to you. (laughs) So this is in Exodus chapter 4. And I'm actually going to turn there and I'm going to read quite a few verses. So I need you to stick with me. Um, This is going to be Exodus chapter 4. And Moses is talking to God. He's just been told by God that he's been chosen to lead the people of Israel out of captivity. And this is his immediate response in chapter 4 verse 1 of Exodus It says, Then Moses answered and said, But this suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses says, Well, what if they don't listen to me? Like, why would they listen to me, God? I'm not special. But God does this in verse 2. He says, So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And I think this part is a little funny. And it says, Moses fled from it. (laughs) It was a real snake, and Moses is afraid. He's like, whoa, I got it. He drops the rod, he backs off, and he runs from it, knowing that God just turned the rod into a serpent. 
Then the Lord calms Moses down in verse 4. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom, which is like chest area, so he's right over here. And so he puts his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. So he got freaked out of the snake. He probably got freaked out by the hand as well. At least I would if that happened to me. In verse 7 it says, And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of the bosom. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. And then God says this to him, Then it will be, if they will not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the later sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. And we see God shows Moses that it's God that's going to do the work. He says, all right, if the people won't believe you, we'll turn your staff into a snake. If they still won't believe you then, I'll give you a leprous hand and the ability to heal it. If they still won't believe you then, we'll turn water to blood. I'll do that for you. He's like, I'm going to do the work. And we're thinking here, man, that would be pretty comforting. But this is Moses' response in verse 10. (laughs) Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before Uh, Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses' excuse, I can't speak well. He's got a rod that becomes a snake. He's got a hand that can be leprous. He can turn water to blood because of God. And his excuse is, I don't know how to talk. Like, I can just imagine, like, just imagine God's face, just like... Really? But that's what we do in our life is God makes the path clear for us. He shows us. He points us uh, down the way we need to go. And we keep looking for more excuses. And we don't need to because God's the one that's going to do the work in our lives. God is the one that does all the work. All we have to do is be obedient to it. That's what we need to do. We think about it all the time, thinking, I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I don't know how to speak. I don't have a good enough testimony. I don't have a father or a mother that was in my life, so I can't do this, Lord. And that's not true. Those are lies the world tells us to keep us from doing the things of God. But God is so gracious to us. Because God didn't quit on Moses, and he didn't quit on Jeremiah, and he didn't quit on me when I backed away from the things that he had for me in fear. But instead, now let's flip back to Jeremiah chapter 1. In verse 7, This is how God responds. It says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. What's so cool about this is God remains faithful to Jeremiah, even when Jeremiah is doubting. And in our life, this is how much God loves us. 
even when we're doubting the good things he has for us, even when we can't see clearly what he wants to do in our life and we try to pull back, God remains faithful in it. He doesn't give up on us. He still desires to use us. And he tells Jeremiah, do not tell me that you're too young. Do not give me that excuse. And I know in my life, a lot of my excuse was, well, I walked away from the Lord when I was younger. And I was like, how could I come back now? How could I deserve to be following after the Lord? And the honest answer is I don't. But God is so gracious to me and allows me to be able to walk after him. He allows me second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, however many chances it takes to choose him and to pursue him and have a passionate relationship with him. And I can promise you, in my life, I have never regretted turning back to the Lord and following after the things that he's had for me. It has completely transformed who I am, not for myself, but for Christ, and is so much greater than anything I could have offered myself. So whatever the excuse is today, know that it's not a good enough excuse for God. It's not good enough. He has such a better plan for your life, and I would encourage you to step into it. But there's also something we see here in verse 7 that starts. There's obedience in our faith. There's obedience in having an identity rooted in Christ. Because God gives Jeremiah some commands. First he says, do not say. So he says, do not use that excuse. And then he gives another command. Go to all whom I send you. He's saying, okay, I need you to be obedient now. I'm going to do the work. You're going to go. So Jeremiah has to go. And it says, um, you will go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. So he gives him this command to speak what God commands him. And I'll be honest with you. So I have never taught up here before. And I got to tell you how nervous I was all week. And I'm still nervous now. But one of the things that God calls us to do in our faith is to be obedient in our speech. To be obedient in our calling. And that's all we have to do. And he'll do the work. If we're obedient to God and we're chasing after the things that he has, he's going to complete the work and he's going to do it. We don't have to live in this fear that, oh man, I have to have this special plan that I formulated. I have to work my whole life to get this right. No, God will do the work in your life. He will be the one that steps in and do it. And all we have to do is be obedient. He says, go, command, speak. And what's funny is that when Moses said he couldn't speak, God gave him Aaron. God didn't allow his uneloquent speech. He gave him Aaron. Which I always think is so funny because the only thing I can picture now is that because Moses wouldn't speak, God still is speaking to Moses. Now Moses has to whisper into Aaron's ear. <laughs> like, I just think that would look hilarious. I don't know if that actually looked like that, but that's what I picture is I picture Moses just whispering into Aaron's ear and then Aaron speaking and just how ridiculous it would have looked. Um, I don't know if that's actually how it looked, but it makes me laugh a little bit. And then what's even beyond that is that when Pharaoh and Israel wouldn't listen, God gave Moses a staff that could turn into a snake and plagues to show the people of Israel that he was serious and that God was behind the work. And so in your life as well, God has already provided what you need. You need to be obedient in stepping out and saying, God, I have faith in you. Not faith in my own identity, but faith in your identity to complete the work, and I will step into it. That's what God desires of us, is to step into it.
And he tells them in verse 8, don't be afraid of their faces. I am with you to deliver you. That doesn't mean we're not going to face difficult circumstances. That doesn't mean we're not going to face difficult tasks. But what it shows us is that God is with us every step of the way. And he will remain faithful to us even in the difficulty. Even when we can't understand why a situation is happening. Why he would allow something to happen to us or to someone else. God has not left it. His sovereign reign is still there. And we look, though, and maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, well, this is great for some people. This is great for, for those that God has called, but it's not personal to me. I always hear these stories of other people having a personal testimony, but it's not personal to me. But I want you to know it is. God's call on your life is personal to each and every one of you in a very unique way. And in verse 9, we see this with Jeremiah, where it says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Our God is a personal God. Our God is a God who will reach out to your life specifically and individually to get your attention. And I want to tell you a little bit of my story and my testimony and how he did that in my life. So growing up, I actually went to this very youth group and I walked away from the Lord. I pursued hockey and it became my idol. And then I got injured my senior year. I could no longer play at the same level that I could. But rather than saying, hey, this might be God trying to get your attention, Tyler, I thought, no, nah, I'll go to college for it. I'll work as an athletic trainer. That'll get me close to hockey. And I continued to build this idol. And then I went and I lived in St. Louis where God had to break me of that idol. God had to break me of it through very difficult circumstances until I would understand that I needed him in my life. And I got to be honest with you, it was from a way I didn't expect. I had just married my wife. We had moved out there. And I knew good Christians went to church. That's what I knew. So we needed to find a church. Didn't know where to look. And so I reached out to Pastor Rich Bailey, and he gave me the name of Calvary Chapel St. Louis. And it was a Wednesday night. It was really dark. We went driving looking for it. I had gone to Rocky Mountain Calvary, so I was expecting a pretty large building. I got there, and it was maybe the size of our junior high room. It was in a neighborhood. I thought I was in the wrong place. I got out of the car, and I was greeted by the most unlikely person I ever could have expected. But she ended up being the greatest friend and greatest influence for Christ that my wife and I have ever had. And she came up to us, and she greeted us. She was older than us, and the last person I would have expected to have interest in our lives. And she poured into our life in such a personal and amazing way. She got our phone number so we couldn't run away, <laughs> which was a good thing to do. And she invited us back. And I traveled a lot for my job because I worked as a D1 athletic trainer for a women's hockey team. So I was always traveling. And while I was traveling, she was working on my wife's heart. She would invite her over for dinner. She would take her to do laundry. She would help her with car issues. And I saw her pour a love on my wife that I had never recognized before. It doesn't mean it wasn't present in my life, but I had never recognized it. And it was from that love that I made the decision to follow Christ. I remember the moment I got saved. It wasn't some amazing thing. We were driving to a Bible study, and this lady named Tammy asked me, she said, Tyler, when did you know that you knew the Lord as your Savior? And it was right at that moment, driving, I was driving a car, just going to a Bible study. 
And it was right then that I knew I was saved and that God had called my life. And he had been calling it my entire life, but I had ignored him in it. And it was very personal, but it was what I needed. It didn't make it not painful at times. But it was personal, and God knew just what he needed to do to get a hold of my life. And if you fast forward a little bit, I finished up my master's degree, and I was ready to be done with school. And I remember we had moved back to Colorado. I was sitting in the back of the room. Call came on for school of discipleship. I was like, oh, that's nice, but I just finished school. I'm going to ignore that. (laughs) Totally ignored it. A week went by, and uh, they announced at the pulpit that they had extended the deadline one week. And I knew. I was like, oh, great. That's, that's for me, isn't it? That's for me. And I was going to ignore it. And then God did something so loving, he used my wife to get my attention. <laughs> Immediately after service, she looked at me and she said, I think you need to sign up for that. And I said, I know. <laughs> I know I do. And it's what ultimately led me to where I am today. I would never have volunteered in the junior high had God not opened that door. I would never have been able to be where I am today if it wasn't for God. And I want you to know that whatever God has in your life, it's worthwhile. And he'll open it at the right time and he'll do whatever it takes to get a hold of your heart. But you have to let him. And he says, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God will tell you what to do. He'll show you what to say. He's a very personal God, and he loves you so much. And it's his identity that he instills in us. But let's keep going just a little bit further here, and let's see here in verse 10, because the task that Jeremiah had to do was not an easy one. And it's not one I envy, it's not one I would desire to do. Jeremiah had a tough job. Let's read it. Verse 10, it says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Jeremiah was told to give a message of destruction. How do you think he felt about that? (laughs) Not very good. I need you to proclaim to the people the coming destruction that Babylon is going to bring if they will not turn their hearts back to the Lord. I do not envy that position of having to tell them that. And as we already know, he was beaten for it. But he also gives this message of hope. Because there wasn't just to destroy and throw down. They had to tear the old roots out. But there's also, here in verse 10, it says to build and to plant. God knew that there were dead roots in Judah and Israel. And he knew that the identity that they were in was only sinful and only death and only opposite of what God had for them. And so some gardening had to be done. God had to take those old roots out. And I want to give you a very practical example of this. And so I'm going to talk about what gardening with a two-year-old is like. Uh, And it is a lot of fun. So a couple weeks ago, Malachi and I went to the store. That's my son. He's about yay tall. Runs around like a crazy person. Super cute. Um, But he likes to help me with everything. And he takes joy in it. And so I took him to the store and I let him pick out like what seeds he wanted. And of course he picks like pumpkins and watermelons and things that I'm like, I don't know if we can grow this. But he picks all those. And we go home and one of the things we had to do was tear out the old roots from the plants that we had sown last year. Because you can't just drop a new seed in there. It's going to get choked out by the old dead roots. 
And so we did that, and it took some work. We had to tear them out. We had to replace them with the soil. We had to throw it away, and then we had to pack new soil, and we had to plant. And it was a lot of fun. I got to see my son's excited face as we're ripping out the old and we're putting in the new, and he's got this hope of a watermelon, which we'll see if that grows, <laughs> to grow in the yard. And he has this hope of whatever he's planting, and he's excited. Every day he checks and sees if there's a sprout, and there's not any sprouts, so be praying for my plants. It's not good. But he's excited about it. And in our life, I want you to think of it this way. We have old roots we need to get rid of. We can get pulled into our old sinful habits. We can get pulled into our old identity that the world has given us, that we've taken on, or anything else that's away from God. And we need to take those out. But we don't just take them out and leave them there. It's not like you take them out and you're like, all right, the soil's good. We have to plant. We have to bring something new to that life. We need to take the old roots out and put new seed in. And Christ makes it so that we don't have to have those old roots of sin anymore. We can't do it our own. You can't just switch your identity if Christ is not in it because something new will always replace it. I always joke with the kids um, all the time when we're talking about put-offs and put-ons. And I always tell them, and we did this a couple weeks ago, I was like, when you're taking off a bad habit, you can't just take it off and leave it off and not put anything on. Because then you're just naked. And it doesn't work. It doesn't go anywhere. You have to put on this new identity of Christ. And this is how God allows us to do that. This is the work that God did so that we don't have to have these dead roots and we can have this new identity in him. And this is John three sixteen to 17. You all know it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's through Christ that we're saved. It's through Christ that we have hope. It's through Christ that the work is done. And if you're here tonight and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, I want you to know that he knew you before you knew you. He knew you before you were formed in the womb. And he loved you. And he found you so worthy to create, but also to die for, to be whipped and to be beaten. And as we look at coming up this weekend with Easter, to be hung on the cross, to pay the price for our sin, so that death would be abolished forever, so that he could be risen on the third day to defeat death, so that we can have these new roots of hope in our life. But there's an obedience call in there. We have to believe it and we have to walk it out. And that's what Christ does in our life. Some of us today may have roots that we need to take care of and allow God to be our identity. And for me, recently, it was learning to pull out of my own way of doing things and allow God to be the one to lead in my life. Some of you guys know this. My mom definitely knows this a little bit. As, uh, I was a little bit of a perfectionist as I got a little bit older. I wanted to make things exactly as they needed to be. Even here at work, I like to have spreadsheets. I like to have everything designed exactly the way that it needs to be. And God has been working on my heart to say, Hey, allow me to take over your plans. Allow me to be the one that does the work. And this happened uh, shortly after my daughter was born. Um, 
Shortly after my daughter Raylan was born, uh, Naomi's dad passed away, and it, it was within a couple weeks, and it was a really hard time. Um, we were expecting this time of rest. We had it all planned out. I was going to take three weeks off. We were going to get to know the baby, try to get her on a good sleep cycle, and then I was going to come back to work, and everything was going to be fine. That's not what happened. Within the first two weeks of Raylan's birth, we had eight people staying at our house and more visitors than I ever wanted. I'm also a little bit of an introvert, so <laughs> it's, it's something that doesn't come natural to me to be around people. I need to be able to recharge. So we had so many people over at the house, and yet God used this. God used it. God said, hey, Tyler, I need you to stop thinking about yourself and your plan. And I need you to think about the plan that I have and be obedient in what I'm calling you to do. And one of the coolest things about this is every single person that stepped in our house that week got to hear the gospel. And we got to see Naomi's dad accept Christ as his Savior two days before he passed away because of it. Those that stepped in our house, I'll be completely honest with you. We didn't see and haven't seen a lot of growth from the seeds that God has planted. We didn't see a lot of her family come to Christ outside of her dad yet. But I have faith that God is going to do the work because he's the one that's going to do it and I just have to be obedient in that calling. And so I would encourage you with that today. And if this is you and you know that you have dead roots that need to be pulled up and new ones to be planted— don't wait any longer. Take that step. Tonight you have an opportunity to respond to Christ and the work that he has in your life and that he desires in your life. So in just a minute, we're going to take communion together in remembrance of what God has done for us on the cross. And then we're going to have some pastors come to the front. But I want you to know it was God's body that was broken for our sin and his blood that was shed for our salvation. And if you have those roots in your life that you know need to be taken out and new ones that need to be put in, don't wait. We'll have pastors available here for prayer. And God wants to do great things with your life. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then the worship team is going to come back out. But Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for just uh, the opportunity to speak. And Lord, for just the encouraging message, Lord, of Jeremiah. Lord, that you've known us, Lord, from before we even knew ourselves, before we were even a thought. And Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you love us so much. Lord, I just pray, Lord, for tonight, if there's any, Lord, that they don't know you. Lord, if they have roots that need to be pulled out and they need to, Lord, come and receive prayer, that they would do so. Lord, bless us as we enter into this time of worship and communion. And Lord, bless us this night. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.